from the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Trends in Theological Education. Host Leif Anderson, President of the NAE, talks with Dan Ailshire, Executive Director of the Association of Theological Schools. Today's conversation is brought to you by the University of Northwestern St. Paul, equipping Christ-centered learners and leaders to invest in others and impact the world. Northwestern offers 70 undergraduate and six graduate degree programs, and its radio ministry reaches more than one million listeners in the Midwest. More at unwsp.edu. And now, let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, president of the NAE, here today with Dan Alshire. Dan has been the executive director of the Association of Theological Schools, or ATS, since 1998, and he oversees the work of both the association and its commission on accrediting. While at ATS, he has served on boards and committees of other accrediting associations, including the Commission on Post-Secondary Accreditation, the Commission on Recognition of Post-Secondary Accreditation, and the Council for Higher Education Accreditation. He holds several degrees, including an MDiv, Master of Divinity from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and a PhD from George Peabody College, which is now part of Vanderbilt University. He's also the author of Earthen Vessels, Hopeful Reflections on the Work and Future of Theological Education. And I've known Dan for a long time, and I will tell you, he is the expert in theological, ex- in theological education in the U.S., and so it is great to have you with us today. Thank you, Leith. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, let's start with the basics. Um, what is a seminary? I actually Googled seminary, and there's a lot of different definitions, so I guess we need yours. I think that the definition that the Association of Theological School works with is that it's uh, an institution that provides education uh, for the practice of ministry, and in the ATS case, they would be schools that operate at the post-baccalaureate level. Uh, the, uh, the seminary has lots of other things uh, that it's doing, and the scope of things that it does is ever-increasing, but I think that at the heart of it, uh, seminary education is uh, it is education for persons who are who want to pursue or are actively pursuing some form of of ministry. So let's get some statistics, just so we can understand not just for those that are involved in higher education, but for those that aren't. So let me rattle off a whole list of questions, and you can just pick the ones you want to answer. I, I want to okay. know how many seminaries are there? What is their size? What percentage of them are uh, evangelicals, what percentage of the students and what percentage of the seminaries and are students, are they mostly men or women or younger or older and which degree programs are the most and the least popular and how long do people go to seminary before they get their degree? Just give us a picture of the stats. Uh, let me talk from the subset of all theological schools that are the 270 schools that are members of ATS. Um, there are lots of other schools that are related to a particular church or uh, a particular neighborhood that are not degree granting or not related to ATS. 
and so uh, I'll leave that unknown number out of my response leads. Uh, ATS has about 270 member institutions in the United States and Canada, and about 110 of them we classify as evangelical Protestant. Uh, about another 100 or so are uh, classified as mainline uh, Protestant, and the remaining schools are Roman Catholic or uh, Orthodox. Uh, together, those schools enroll about 76,000 students. The dominant degree program uh, that has the plurality of the enrollment is the Master of Divinity, and that would be the case across all of those uh, ecclesial families. Uh, the, the highest concentration of MDiv enrollment would be among Roman Catholic schools, and probably the lowest concentration of MDiv enrollment would be among evangelical Protestant schools. The two largest age groups of students in ATS schools are students under 30 and over 50. Those two groups constitute about 54% of the total enrollment. Uh, we thought one time that we should rename ATS as the Association of Schools of Parents and Their Children. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have two very different age groups. Uh, at one time, uh, it appeared that uh, uh, folks were leaving uh, careers and entering ministry and students in their 30s and 40s were a large group. That group has, has as a percentage of enrollment, shrunk. And the group that has grown most fast over the last 10 or 15 years are students over 50. Uh, we're not quite sure what all that uh, means. Our hunch is uh, that one, the baby boomers, that bulge in the population have gotten older and they're still going to seminary. The other is that these are not career changers, they're career completers. They've taught school for 30 years or they've been in the military or they've been uh, government workers of one sort or the other or they're in uh, professions where they're able to do 30 years of service and then they're looking for something to do uh, and feel a call to ministry uh, for the last 10 or 15 years of their working careers. Uh, about uh, almost 40% of the students in ATS schools are either visa students or students of color. Uh, that's a significant phenomenon. Um, it has been the, the percentage of African descent, Asian descent, Hispanic descent students has been increasing steadily since the 1970s. And we anticipate that uh, at least 50% of the um, ATS enrollment uh, including visa students will be persons of color before the the U.S. population actually changes to majority persons of color sometime in the decade of the 2040s. Well, let, let's talk about gender. Now, obviously, Catholic seminaries with MDiv students, uh, they're men. But, but overall, the, the right. over 270 schools, um, are they mostly men? Are they mostly women? What's the breakdown? Uh, they are mostly men. But almost 34% of all students are uh, women. 
we have uh, 62 ATS schools in which the majority of the student body uh, is women. And um, those would be primarily mainline Protestant. The enrollment of women is slightly less among evangelical Protestant schools uh, than mainline Protestant schools, but it's a significant percentage of uh, evangelical Protestants uh, uh, schools as well. And how long typically does it take for somebody to get a seminary degree? I did a Master of Divinity degree in two years. I was anxious to be done, uh, but <laughs> my impression is that that would be pretty unusual and most people are taking how long? Uh, you're twice as fast, Leif. Uh, the Master of Divinity uh, is established as a, as a three-year degree in most ATS schools. It takes the average MDiv student right at four years to complete the degree. Uh, professional master's degrees in religious education or missions or youth ministry or any of a number of other areas are, are set up to be uh, two-year degree programs, and those programs are completed on an, in an average of about every about four years. So the professional MA programs are, are more part-time than the uh, than the MDiv program, but the MDiv program takes the average student about four years uh, to complete. And ATS has allowed a reduction in the number of required hours for the M, right? That's correct. We we define degrees in terms of years of study, and there has always been uh, a range of hours that schools use to uh, constitute what uh, is uh, uh, full-time study for that for that period of time, and in general, the number of hours in freestanding seminaries that 30 years ago was 90 hours or more in in most of those schools is now down to uh, somewhere in the 80 hour uh, in many of them and below 80 uh, in some of them. Uh, those are semester hours. Uh, and uh, done, we have set a, a floor of not fewer than 72 semester hours. Um, uh, in a for an MDiv in a three-year program. You're giving me the impression that with the number of hours that I had for an MDiv that I should get an extra degree thrown in <laughs> for the time that I spent, but I won't ask for that. So just generally, what's the what's the state of theological education? Because we listen to some people and they give you the impression that seminaries are going out of business, and then you talk to other people and you get the impression that seminaries are just booming. So uh, overall, where is it going? Are we on the upside or the downside? How's enrollment? The, over, <clears throat> the overall enrollment uh, uh, has declined about 12% over the last um, uh, 10 or 11 years until this most recent year in which it increased about 1%. So whether we're at the beginning of a new trend or just a blip uh, uh, in a continuing uh, trend of decline, uh, we don't know. That's not every school. About 40% of the ATS schools have had increasing enrollment over these 10 years. Um, and, and we've looked at enrollment across ATS schools to try to identify the variables that might predict uh, 
schools that have either uh, increasing or decreasing enrollment, and we haven't come up with a, a you know a single silver bullet that would help us understand what's going on. And, and perhaps the best way to think about it, Leith, is that lots of different stories are present. So it's very true that some schools are doing well, doing better than they've ever done. Other schools are not doing as well. While some schools are declining, ATS has admitted almost 30 new member schools over the last uh, uh, six or eight years. And those schools uh, represent uh, new centers of energy, either in theological education or American Christianity. For example, ATS now has 11 schools that are primarily Asian-serving. Uh, who, uh, whose primary language of instruction is either Mandarin, Cantonese, or Korean. Most of those schools would be considered evangelical Protestant. So while some schools are feeling some stress, other schools are forming and are growing, particularly as new immigrant communities do what immigrant communities have always done. They establish congregations, they form denominations, and pretty soon they establish a center of learning for their ministers. Um, Roman Catholic theological education, after a very tumultuous period, in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s is relatively stable, and enrollment is relatively stable, uh, though there are, uh, is a decreasing percentage of that enrollment who are studying for ministerial priesthood. Roman Catholic, uh, I mean, evangelical Protestant enrollment continued to increase while mainline Protestant enrollment was decreasing, in some cases fairly significantly, but evangelical Protestant enrollment has now plateaued and in some seminaries has been declining. Um, so it, there are multiple stories out there, and if you hear stories that seem to be contradictory, it's likely because all of those stories are true of at least some schools. What's not true is any one story that defines it all. There are some traditions that require a seminary degree in order to be credentialed, in order to be uh, ordained. There are some that don't. In fact, there are some that probably wouldn't look with total favor on uh, a seminary degree. Uh, you know that I have a bias in this, that I'm, I'm biased toward the value <laughs> of uh, classical theological education. But if uh, someone stops you in the lobby of a hotel and says, why should someone go to seminary? What's the answer to that question? Uh, what I would typically say, Leeds, is that ministry is becoming more complex. Fewer people understand uh, a, a Christian way of understanding the world. And ministry is going to be more effective for more people across a longer period of time if it has a firm uh, theological, biblical, and practice foundation under it. There's some people who do spectacularly well and who never went to seminary, like there are some business people who do spectacularly well who never went to business school. But seminary provides a, an insight into scripture, an insight into the historical thinking of the church, a skill in the arts of ministry, 
and those generally serve uh, communities of faith well over time. It's been interesting to me that the communities that have had uh, limited theological education historically have been the ones founding uh, seminaries. Um, before 1970, ATS had no Pentecostal seminaries. There are now six seminaries in ATS that serve primarily uh, Pentecostal uh, traditions or communities. Um, they have uh, they have perceived not only uh, the the empowerment and gifts that God gives the leaders of the church, but also the need for those to be tutored. And I think that um, I would simply say. Uh, that learned ministry that is faithful and um, committed is um, it is more has more capacity to help and be effective than unlearned ministry that is faithful and committed. I talked recently with a, a leading pastor of a large church, and he was reflecting on lessons that he has learned in life. And he told me that one of the most important lessons that he had ever learned was to think of everything theologically. So whether it's finances or public relations or Bible teaching or whatever it may be, that he's always looking at it through a theological grid. And certainly uh, theological education goes a long way to do that. There are so many expectations of pastors, and <clears throat> it seems that they just continue to grow and expand. And I'm sure you have heard this. I hear it far too often where pastors say, well, they never taught me that in seminary. Or um, a parishioner says, didn't they teach you about business or about certain aspects of ethics or practices? There's a part of me that wants to say, and your doctor, was your doctor taught about uh, face yeah. transplants and CT scans <laughs> and MRIs uh, when she or he went to school 30 years ago? Well, of course not, because you can't do everything. But w what do seminaries do? It seems that there's a concern about, uh, for instance, business practices and finance, and the pastors need to know more. How much can a seminary do, and w what's fair here? Um, you know, we, we're at a moment where pastors need to know more where seminaries need to compress theological education to its most bare <laughs> elements because of cost, because of, of uh, a variety of other factors that are influencing theological education. So it really is a kind of educational triage uh, that school. What is it they can best educate students for that students most need to know over the longest period of time, um, and I think those are the those are kind of the decision rules that a lot of uh, schools are coming to. So they would say what we can do best, and what data suggest that the schools do best is the biblical and theological, ethical education of students, helping them be formed as persons of faith engaged in ministry, and uh, the, the, the fundamental uh, capacities of uh, ministerial arts, uh, the practice of ministry, preaching and counseling, administering, evangelizing. Uh, Everything can't be learned at seminary, just like everything a physician needs to know, as you've already mentioned, isn't learned at medical school. And I have a concern that people imagine that 
that uh, learning uh, stops when they leave uh, seminary with a degree. They now have a foundation for the continued learning that faithful ministry is going to require. Um, it, you may recall, Lee, that that group you helped uh, convene one time in Minneapolis for a conversation with seminary presidents and pastors of larger membership churches. And as I recall that conversation, many of those pastors said, you know, 20 and 25 years out of seminary, they were still living with the kind of biblical and theological framing they picked up in seminary, but that the sort of practical skill education had a much shorter shelf life in their ministry. They had learned to preach differently. They'd learned to administer differently, et cetera. And, and I think that uh, what we have is the need for um, uh, seminary students as ministers to continue their learning. We know, for example, from our studies of graduates that most of them say we should have had more practical skill development. We also know uh, that they say the, the courses they most valued in seminary were the biblical theological uh, courses. So they tend not to be drawn to the skill-related courses until they have a need to practice that skill. And so I think that, that, that probably seminaries ought to think much more about skill development in their continuing theological education. I think that denominational communities ought to give a lot of attention to skill development for pastors in their first several years of ministry, when they really have to raise a budget for the first time, when they really are having issues with conflict in a congregation, et cetera, that, that there are times when learning is more, um, they're more motivated to learn uh, certain things. And what they're motivated to learn for the most students are most motivated to learn in seminary it is biblical, uh, and, and historical and theological. And there's only so much you can do in three or four years, and three or four right. years can be expensive. So what, what is this? And this is a topic for politics. This is our government, uh, student loans, our large debt is extensive. And at least in my experience, sometimes what you have in a seminary is a man and a woman meet, they marry, and they bro both bring student loans into the marriage and then go into ministry with uh, less than adequate salary. So what are seminaries doing about this? Where, where are we at? Um, seminaries are, are, are working hard at it, at least, to varying degrees of success. Uh, Lilly Endowment has made grants uh, to about uh, 65 ATS schools to help those schools develop uh, programs to reduce debt and increase financial literacy, both financial literacy and then financial literacy they will take into their uh, context of ministry. ATS is coordinating that work. Um, the the and we're learning some things about institutional efforts that reduce the amount of debt that students graduate with. Um, of all uh, graduating uh, students, about 40% graduate with no debt related to theological education. 
they may have some undergraduate debt if they're younger students, but 40% get out of seminary without borrowing anything for their seminary education. That means 60% do, and for the most part, uh, that 60% are using federally guaranteed loans. So distance and online education, that's got to impact this as well because I'm assuming students can stay put in a less expensive place and seminary education is less expensive. Uh, online education uh, has been growing dramatically in ATS schools uh, over the last 10 or uh, 15 years since the accrediting standard shifted to allow more online education. And it does reduce the cost because the biggest cost for many seminary students is giving up the day job and relocating and going to a campus at some distance away. And distance learning uh, uh, is a strategy that allows them to stay involved wherever they are, uh, uh, as well as then taking time to come away for intensive uh, sessions on campus so that there is some community connection with other students face-to-face -face as well as online. When, uh, when you say that uh, ATS accredits evangelical mainline Catholic Orthodox institutions, many of us live within our framework. So if we're mainline, those are the people we talk to. If we're evangelical, those are the people we talk to. What could evangelical seminaries learn from mainline or other seminaries? I think that the lesson that, I'll start with Roman Catholic uh, schools, I, I think that the lesson that Roman Catholic schools are teaching theological education is understanding theological education more formationally, um, that we are cultivating uh, skills and knowledge in the context of, us, uh, uh, of individuals who are related to God, and uh, these are all connected. Um, and they they have a common source and they have a common uh, identity. Uh, that's valuable to think of theological education not as a collection of courses on subjects, but as an engagement over time as people uh, become fitted uh, for ministry and service as well as informed uh, for it. Uh, Mainline has um, probably there's an, there's an inclination in mainline seminaries to take a more prophetic stance toward the church. Um, evangelical seminaries tend to be very, very tuition dependent, very gift dependent, and it's a little bit harder for them to say, this is a silly thing for the church to be doing right now, and it may not be serving the purposes of God uh, as well as it might. And sometimes I worry uh, about the capacity uh, of evangelical theological schools. that They can be very prophetic about the world and culture, but to the communities they serve, sometimes they are less so because they are so dependent on those immediate communities. And how a school uh, practices a prophetic as well as a priestly role uh, with the, the communities to which it's most related and serves most 
Uh, mainline schools are probably able to do that because they have a lot of endowment. They're not quite as dependent uh, on either the current class of students or um, uh, denominational contributions. But that would be one thing. How does what is the proper prophetic role for the theological school, and how is it exercised? And mainline schools have been pretty good at that over the years, in my judgment. And I think it's you know. It, it, there are lots of factors. It's not because evangelical schools tend not to be wired that way. They are. That's not the issue at all. Um, but if, if if there were something to learn, I think it might be that. So let me, uh, for a last question here, ask you sure. to be prophetic. So we'll put the uh, prophecy hat on you, and you look forward the next generation, say the next twenty years. Uh, what do you think seminaries are going to need to do in order to be effective into the future? I think that they're going to have to be uh, even more effective uh, in overall fundraising from individual donors. Uh, they can't con they can't depend on tuition in the future as much as they are right now. Uh, and denominations, for the most part, don't have tons of money flowing in. They're looking around what to do with it. So the funding for, an, and particularly evangelical, but but for all theological education, is going to be increasingly donor-centered uh, funding, and they're going to need to get better at what they're already good at. I think that the schools, I've already mentioned it, we are in a fundamental shift from a more kind of professional, get the skills and knowledge, uh, understanding of education to a much more formational, uh, who who is the learned Christian who can exercise religious leadership in a community of faith uh, kind of theological education. The schools are going to need to get better at that. Um, whether some schools are going to have to institutionally change. Uh, we're in the process of seeing that now. Campuses that were for housing and food service and um, assumed students who left and moved in it and lived in a community for a while and then left, those facilities are less and less well used and facilities that provide educational space and office space and cost less uh, are going to be uh, an important transition to continue to happen. I think that, as has always been the case, in 20 years there may not be all of the schools that are right now, but there will be new schools that don't exist right now that are that become providers for you know, particular communities or contexts. You know, the church has been trying to educate its leaders one way or the other for a couple of thousand years now. And that the method has changed, the mission has been very, very consistent over that time, and it will continue as we look at the next 20 years. Um, and I think that uh, seminaries are going to have to pay more attention uh, to its ecclesial constituency. Who are the churches these graduates serve? What are the contexts of ministry these churches support? Uh, what is the kind of education these expressions of ministry need? Uh, where uh, schools have got to figure out more effectively um, the changing patterns of ministerial work 
and the kind of education these changing patterns and the forms of education these changing patterns will require. Our guest on today's conversation has been Dan Elshire, Executive Director of the Association of Theological Schools. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Dan. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.